Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yup, and welcome to Talking Knicks. I'm Tom Piccolo. I'll be doing my best Jake Ravioli impression as today's host. It was a rough week in Knicks basketball. We went 0-3, dropping the record to 4-13 overall. We're not going to talk too much on the games. We're getting to some bigger picture stuff, including Trey Burke's explosive week, Frank Nielakina's role, and more. Let's talk Knicks. The New York Knicks select Kristaps Porzingis. Post and toes up and then stuffing. Again, igniting and exciting the guard crowd. All right, I'm joined today by Kenny Poon. Kenny, how you doing? After uh, after that game, Tom, I've I've been better. It's been a, a struggle of a weekend um, on the sports side of things for for me. As you know, my my UConn Huskies played pretty well against Syracuse, got the W, and then lost to Iowa. My Villanova Wildcats lost to Michigan, and then to Furman. They lost to Furman, Tom. You know, my and, my uncle and my cousin went to Furman. That's in South Carolina, right? No idea. I've never heard of it until until to yesterday when they lost to them. And I was like, oh, that sucks. Uh, and then my New York Knicks lost tonight. And the last, I don't know, what is it, six games now? Yeah, uh, that's a, it's a tough break. But what about in the non-sports world? I heard, you went to a parade today, is that right? Yeah, I went to a parade um, down in Stamford, Connecticut. It's apparently, it's the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade warm-up. So before they do it in New York, they have to be like, all right, we have to make sure we know how to hold these floats and things like that. So they do it through the streets of Stamford, where you used to live, Tom. Um, and my whole family went down. Uh, we have I have, a, I have two nephews. One of them was too small to go, and the other one's about two years old. So he was, he was pumped for it. And uh, everyone else just kind of went because it was Greg's birthday. That's probably why he's not on the pod outraging. Uh, for his birthday, which is tomorrow, sure or today, if you're listening to it on the 19th, um, and so like it's a it's it's the second year in a row we've done it, and uh, it's kind of a weird tradition because like I I'm not I'm not a parade guy. I I wouldn't go to the to a parade if you know my, it wasn't where my brother lived the day before his birthday, and I had a two year old nephew who was going. So like it's it was fine, it was fine. Yeah, I would have never accused you of being a, a parade guy, but um, I, I'm kind of curious how hard they go in this in this warm up parade. Like, it, do they go all out? They bring all the bells and whistles, or is it kind of like how the, the Knicks treated this first quarter in Orlando today? Oh, that's that's a segue. I don't know if you actually want me to answer the question, or you, no, or you just no, want no, to jump you, into that. You picked up on the segue there. That that was good. I, I actually I do want to start quickly with today's game just because it's freshest in our minds and in our listeners' minds probably. And then we'll just we'll skate over these pretty quickly. But I mean the thing so today lost in Orlando, 131 to 117. Um, Orlando dropped 44 points in the first quarter. It's one of the worst quarters the Knicks have ever played that I can remember. Uh, Aaron Gordon had 20 in the first quarter, made his first seven shots. Uh, Kevin Knox just had no shot against him. Um, 
THJ had 32 points, Trey Burke at 31, Cantor his his normal 21-19. Um, Nilakina played a decent amount, and even you know there was a little bit of crunch time-ish minutes at the end. I was glad to see Frank got in there. But uh, anything else you want to talk about from this game, Kenny? I mean, I'll say I'll say a couple things on the on the Frank point. Um, it's kind of been an interesting development in the last two games. Uh, Fizdale has gone offense defense in the fourth quarter with Frank. Um, you know, I'm I'm just, I'm just happy to see him out there. Like even if he's not getting his shots up on offense like today, or if he's missing his shots like other days, like I'm just happy to see him out there. I want him to to get the chance to develop and you know just play minutes. I think is the most important thing for him. Um, the other thing which I mentioned to you uh, right before we went live is surprisingly small amount of minutes for um, Alonzo Trier tonight. Uh, despite starting, he ended up with, um, I think it was 13, 14 minutes, something like that. Well, it's funny you say that, Kenny, because a part of the reason why Trier got so few minutes is because he didn't start the second half. And they got, I mean, they just got lit up in that first half. So it seemed like Fisdale's solution to try and get some stops was to start Vonley and Cantor in place of Trier and Robinson in the second half. I don't know if that's the right formula to, to get stops, but then that's what happened. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I guess he was throwing out big bodies. And to be fair to Cantor, he was having a great first half. I think he had something like 14, and 15, 14 points and 15 rebounds or something like that in the first half, which is, which is great. But again, he's not known as a defensive guy and – you know, the fact that their their real problem wasn't scoring. They had, you know, two guys score 30 and one guy score 20 tonight. So what they really needed is some people to play some defense. Yeah, so we'll, we'll circle back on this game when we when we get to some of the, the broader topics. But uh, rewinding back in the week, um, the first game of the week was Wednesday. It was a loss at Oklahoma City, 128 to 103. Really the only notes I had from this game was Steven Adams dunked everything. And Paul George was unstoppable. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. had an efficient 20. Cantor did his thing. Knox was super aggressive, had 15 points on 5 of 16 shooting. Not great efficiency, but you like to see him get his shots up. Um, anything from that game jump out to you, Kenny? Yeah, no, not really. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with um, with Stephen Adams. We were just unable to do anything to him and, you know, Part of it is was Enos Cantor, but it wasn't all on Enos Cantor. Um, I know there was a couple times when he just tossed Mr. Robinson and other people. So like, he's a big guy. Enos Cantor, not a good defender. So we got a, he got his share on Enos Cantor. And Mr. Robinson, a good defender, but a still very young, has, has to put a lot of weight and muscle on uh, before he's going to be able to bang in the post like, uh, like a guy like Steven Adams. So not, not much else to add there. Um, yeah, uh, Paul George was really just – he was hitting everything. Tim Hardaway Jr. wanted nothing to do with guarding him. Yeah. Um, and and Neil Akeen is just too small to do it at this point. He's too, he's too uh, skinny to guard Paul George at this point. So uh, Knicks really don't have anyone to guard a big wing like that. It, it's like you think Vonley, is that is he your next best option? Maybe I guess Dotson. Yeah, Do- Dotson's still – he's not – as tall, but like he, he's a thicker body and he's got some defensive skill. Vonley has the build to do it. I don't know if he has the skill to do it, um, but I think you're right. I think that's that's a point that the Knicks are going to need to address, and maybe eventually in the future it is Frank once he's had a chance to you know put on some more weight and build some strength. 
but right now there's just there's just not that guy. Um, Dot Dotson is probably the closest I'd say that we have, just because, like I said, he's he's stronger than Frank, and he has he's a he's a able defender, whereas that's kind of a a skill set that the Knicks are light on right now. And I guess you hope that Knox gets there eventually, but at this point he's a young, one of the youngest guys in the league and not a strong defender, so you can't really ask him to do much there. Yeah, and that was something I don't know if it was if it was this game or it might have been the Pelicans game um, a couple times against Julius Randle, but he's just been getting bullied a little bit on offense. Uh, I, I saw him just get kind of bowled over, and his defense to that was to just like stick his hand out and file people a couple times. Um, I, I'm not gonna say that I saw it a lot, but I remember a few very vivid instances of him, you know, getting getting bullied into the post and then just kind of reaching out and just slapping the guy's arms just to, to stop the, the abuse. Yeah, the foul trouble has been a major issue for him. Um, and then just we'll, we'll move on to the last game here, which was Friday's loss in New Orleans. It was a 124-129 loss. Anthony Davis was the story, put up a monster line, 43 points, 17 boards, five assists. He missed like five or six free throws too. He could have been closer to like 50 points. Um, yeah, he was unstoppable as, as you'd imagine him to be against – this Knicks front line uh, on the Knicks side, Trey Burke was good. Tim Hardaway Jr. had an inefficient thirty, and uh, Frank played fewer than fifteen minutes, which which always bums me out. Um, anything there you want to pick up on? Uh, yeah, I don't. I was trying to look up the the stats for it before you got there, but I was at um, the Knicks versus. Knicks versus uh, New Orleans game last year where Anthony Davis just went off for some ridiculous stat line, which I haven't been able to find. It was like 50 and 20 or something like that. Uh, I and, the bell, yeah. Yeah, so like that, it, it, it's not great to see him go off on this again. Part of it, I don't know if it was part of the game plan because um, going into the half, they talked to Moutier, and Moutier says, said something like, yeah, he's going to get his points. Our, our goal is to just stop everyone else. And if that was the game plan, it didn't work because he got his 43 points and New Orleans won. Um, the yeah, Knicks did he, have the lead. Drew Holiday got his. Uh, Julius Randle got his, too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, stopping other players didn't did not happen. Yeah. And uh, they said it during the broadcast, but four guys on New Orleans with, uh, with double-doubles that game. Um, Miritich, Davis, Julius Randle, and Drew Holiday, all with double-doubles for, for New Orleans. Um, the Knicks did have the lead for the vast majority of this game, and then they lost it. I think with something like five minutes to go in the in the fourth quarter, and then they just couldn't overcome. So that those are the kind of losses that you kind of hate to see. Um, where we know this this season's kind of a lost season, but at some point you you want to see wins on the board just to keep the morale up for everyone. Yeah, that is the, the biggest concern is just the players kind of, you know, the, the coach losing the team at some point or just the, the locker room being a, a bad atmosphere. You never want to get to that point because, you know, you need these players showing what they can do and hopefully attracting free agents in the offseason. So you need you need guys to be playing, you know, at, at full energy with, with spirit and everything. So, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. And uh, with that, we could probably move to, to some of the, the more big picture topics, the more interesting stuff. Um, and, and the first thing I want to talk about was something you brought up, which I thought was, was kind of interesting. You actually tweeted it from our, our uh, account, our, our newly reclaimed 
at Talking Nick's Twitter account. Um, that Twitter, so, account, yeah, brought back to us. If you have been following us at Talking Nick's Pod, head back over to at Talking Nick's because that's where we're going to be doing uh, our tweeting from here on out. Unless for some reason Twitter decides to suspend us for no reason again, we never again. To go back and tell the story, we never got an explanation from Twitter. They sent us an email that said we violated the Twitter rules, specifically colon, and then a blank space. And so, well, I guess that'll forever be a mystery. But we're back now, so follow us there. Yep, thanks, Twitter. Um, so, yeah, you had, you had a good tweet, though. You said the Knicks offense looks like a bunch of strangers playing pickup. They only pass it when you absolutely have to, and when you get it, Try to get yours because you're not confident that your teammates will pass it to you again. And I, I thought that was a really, really good description of what the offense looked like, not only in this game against Orlando, but really all week. Yeah, and I think uh, like it's hard to fault people because like people had great games tonight. Um, Tim Hardaway Jr., offensively, people had good offensive games tonight. Um, and kind of throughout the season, we've seen it a lot with with Alonzo Trier. He'll have a great game offensively. Um, Tim Hardaway Jr., uh, Trey Burke tonight had another great game offensively. But the way that they do it, I don't think is conducive to winning basketball. So I, we've talked about it before, but all we want to see this year is kind of setting the groundwork for the future. And the way that they're playing now, I don't think does that. Um, and you could tell me if, if you disagree with this, but watching having everyone stand on the perimeter and watch either Alonzo Trier, uh, Trey Burke, or Tim Hardaway Jr. go one-on-one doesn't help build cohesion on offense, and it's one of the big reasons that the, the Knicks are last in uh, assists per game. Yeah, I'd mentioned that in my um, my column last – it, it was towards the beginning of this week, just how, how poor of a passing team the Knicks are, and it was it was shown tonight – uh, against Orlando, the Magic had 35 assists on their 48 made field goals, which is wildly impressive. 35 assists out of 48 makes. The Knicks just 12 assists on their 40 made field goals. So it is a lot of ISO ball. It's a lot of high screen and roll. So it's it's a two man game, and then just a shot is either coming just from the pick and roll ball handler, or sometimes they'll, they'll pass it to the roll man who will kind of like do a slow post up. But for the, I mean, it's just, and, it's not pretty basketball. There are very few sets. I, I, I saw a couple of nice plays actually, but it was, it was very much the exception to the rule. Yeah. And I think it trickles down to everyone else too, right? Because if, if uh, Enos Cantor hasn't been involved in the offense and he's watching Trey Burke go off on offense, He's trying to prove a point that he wants to be in the starting lineup. So if he gets the ball, never been a very good passer to begin with, but if he gets the ball, he's immediately looking to score. He's not even thinking about doing anything else. Um, and another thing is, like, it makes other players who would be much better in a you know normal situation with ball movement, like a guy like Damian Dotson could be a very good player um, for a team like the Spurs, where it's, you could say that about anyone, to be fair, but... For a team like the Spurs, where there's a lot of ball movement and the open guy's going to get his shot, Damian Dotson's a very useful player because he can hit open shots. He's not a great creator for himself, but if other people are creating for him, he's a good player. And so he's losing his value because no one else is looking to create for him. Everyone's looking to create for themselves once they get it. And 
there's just not enough kind of ball movement, which which is something that Fizdale said he was hoping to have a lot of this year. It's ball movement and player movement. I mean, Dotson's one of the best guys on the team coming off screens. He's kind of reminds me of Courtney Lee in that way. Um, we miss his his motion on offense, but yeah, Dotson has that skill set. It's really not used at all. It's, it it really stands out when it happens. When like he he came off one screen today and got a nice mid range jumper. He he did not connect on it, but it, it stood out like oh, that's what ball and man and ball movement look like. So um, yeah. yeah, Trey Trey Burke was awesome. He was 11 of 20 from the field and just one of seven from three. So 10 of 13 from inside the arc for such a little guy. It's, it's really impressive how much craft he has. And I've been team Trey Burke for a while now just because I think he is super skilled. But I've always said that he's one of the best playmakers on the Knicks too. And since his playing time has become more sporadic, he just has not been given up the ball. He, he really does just hunt for his shot. And it's, it's gotten to the point of selfishness. And it's making me making me eat my own words a little bit. And I think a little bit of this is what you were saying. His minutes diminished and he wanted to get out there and prove his worth. And there's things on the basketball court that don't show up in the stat sheet. And, you know, people don't try as hard to do those things. The thing that people always notice is if you're scoring. And so Trey Burke has been trying his hardest to score over the last few games since he his kind of partial demotion to the bench where he was getting, you know, coaches' decisions, DNPs. So, like, I get it. And it's a similar thing with Cantor where he's been – he's become a, a guy coming off the bench. And so he's trying to get his to prove his worth. The problem is people aren't doing the small things, you know. And I think that's something that a lot of casual fans might miss just because, like I said, people know when people are scoring. So you see – a guy like Cantor going out there going eight for 16, 21 points, a guy like Trey Burke going 11 for 20, 31 points. And that looks good. The problem is you're not getting your teammates involved. You're not making your teammates better. And, you know, at some point, Trey Burke is not going to be the focal point of our offense. You know, he's going to be at best third banana behind uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. And Christoph Porzingis. So what value is he bringing if he's not going iso ball every time? I can say the same thing about Alonzo Trier. I could say a similar thing about Enos Cantor, although I don't know, I don't expect him to be back on the team this year. He's proving a lot of worth. If he's willing to accept a bench role, maybe he comes back. But the role that he's in right now is just not sustainable for winning basketball in the future. And that's that's the thing. Your point about winning basketball. Um... Trey Burke, his last two games have been extremely efficient, so it's hard to knock a guy for, I mean, his game um, in New Orleans, he put up 24 points on 10 of 13 from the field, and he's he's also getting to the free throw line a lot. Um, he had just five attempts in New Orleans, but he had he was 8 of 10 tonight in Orlando, um, and that's something the Knicks have struggled with. So like a guy who's creating his own offense and getting to the line and getting easy points that way. You say the same thing about Tim Hardaway Jr., him getting to the line. He was 9 of 10 from the free throw line tonight. I love seeing that because it's just not something the Knicks have been good at the last several years. Um, but if it's if it's not leading to, to winning basketball, it's tough. Like t- Tim Hardaway Jr. had the worst plus minus in the team tonight, minus 24. I mean, a lot of that came from that uh, horrendous start. But, you know, there was a reason why when 
he and Trier came out and Frank Nielakina came in and Dotson came in, that there was just a huge shift. And and Green and, and Frazier talked about this on the telecast. They said how the defensive energy just completely changed as soon as Frank came in. And that was borne out in the in the plus minus numbers. There was it it's you know, the eye test kind of corroborates the stats there. Yeah, and you know, I, I don't know if this this is gonna uh, move us on as far as talking about the defense and and maybe a little bit of Frank Nielakina. But before we we do that, I just wanted to add kind of the like I said of the from the top of this discussion is the whole point of this year is development, and no one is developing offensively except for the guy handling the ball. If it's Alonzo Trier, Trey Burke, Tim Hardaway Jr., if they're just going ISO every time. And there has been a lot of that this season. And, you know, as far as what's going to happen, we want to build a team in a fashion that when Kristaps Porzingis comes back, he fits in. And they're not going to be able to do this when Kristaps comes back, right? Because he's going to be in the center or he's going to be on the perimeter waiting for someone to set him up for a three. He's not a guy who's huge at creating his own shot. Um, He might get a tip slam here and there, but... For a lot of it, he's either getting in the post and trying to shoot over people or he's catching and shooting. So we want we want to set up a situation where there's a lot of ball movement and we're able to make things easier for him. Because quite frankly, Trey Burke, no one on this team is as valuable as Christoph Porzingis is to us. So when he comes back, if this is how things are, if this is how people have been playing, it's going to change immediately. Whereas if people start passing the ball, start moving you know, moving around on offense without the ball, that's something that Chris Dobbs can come in and, you know, fit in right away. And so one guy I'm curious if you think whether or not he could fit, potentially fit in uh, once Chris Dobbs comes back, this guy's been kind of an, an enigma this season, is Emmanuel Moutier. Um, he had a pretty strong showing these last three games. He was averaging about 13 points, just two assists on just under three rebounds per game. But he's shooting 60% from the field. He's averaging about 5 of 8 from the field. Um, you know, not doing much on the three-point line. He, I guess he's he's taking two threes a game, hitting about a third of those, getting to the free throw line a little bit. But what do you think about his game? Do you think he has any balance in, as far as distributing or as a primary ball handler? Or is he kind of, a, to you, more in that Trier, Burke, Hardaway Jr. mold? So I think that he has actually been one of the Knicks' best passers this year. That's, again, not saying much because they're the worst passing team in the league. But he's been a more willing passer than nearly anyone. Uh, Maybe Frank's a more willing passer because all he wants to do is pass and not do anything else. Uh, But he's a decent passer, and he has shown me a lot this last couple weeks as far as um, playing offense. One of the big knocks on him in uh, last season and – this preseason has been his inability to finish through contact. And he's done that a few times. And I know I tweeted it out a few times from, uh, from talking Knicks that, you know, he's taking a hit and then finishing. And that's what we're expecting from him. Cause he's a well-built big point guard. And then today what I saw from him was he had DJ Augustine on him. Who's a much smaller point guard. And he just bullied him. He took him down in the, the paint and just went over him and made layups. So I think he's shown me the ability to, you know, get a little bit on offense enough to space the floor, but he's also a willing enough passer to keep other people involved. And the biggest thing possibly from him is him running the break because no one else on the team 
at the beginning of the year, we talked about how important it was and how well we were doing it as far as running, uh, just running the offense, catching it and running every single time. And we haven't been doing that much. Moutier in the last couple games uh, that he's been playing has been doing that, which is good. So I think he can be a part of the future. And I know we talked about it a few weeks ago, but at the end of this year, he's a restricted free agent. Um, I think Greg misquoted his um, qualifying offer, but his qualifying offer is actually something like 7 million, which isn't terrible for a guy who has the potential to be a very solid, in my opinion, his, his role would be a backup point guard. I don't know if you disagree with me there. No, no, no disagreement there. He's, I would not say he's a starting point guard, but, uh, even though Greg misquoted that, he's he's still cool. Yeah, yeah. Happy birthday, man. Um, yeah, you, you, so you mentioned Moutier punishing Augustine. He did the same thing to Drew Holiday yeah. in New Orleans, who's, who's a pretty big point guard. Uh, yeah, Moutier's a he's a bruiser, that's for sure. So, you know, if he can he, – he doesn't really have much of a threat of an outside shot, but he's aggressive. He pushes the ball. He He isn't – overly selfish so he there's some redeeming characteristics to him and I was quite low on him coming into the season but he's definitely exceeded my expectations so far um want to hear want to hear a sad stat Tom always Emmanuel Moutier led the team in assists per game this week how many do you think he had per game I was I just had his stats up it was something like 2.3 it was 2.3 Mario Hazonia had two in the one game that he played. Alonzo Trier averaged two in the three games that he played. And Frank averaged two in the three games that he played. So, not great, but it's something. It shows that he's at least willing to, to pass the ball a little bit. That is a dire statistic. Just 2.3 assists per game leading the team for this week. Let's hope that's a low point as far as playmaking goes this year. Um and speaking of playmaking, I, I do want to get to, to Frank Nilakina because um, his role has, has kind of been fluctuating. He was a primary ball handler, point guard, and he was a wing. He was back to point guard. And now he's kind of a wing again. His minutes are fluctuating too. Um, I just wrote an article that, that came out today for the B-Ball Index, and it really takes a, an in-depth look at Frank's shooting specifically. Um more so as like an off ball shooter, but also also off the dribble, and we'll we can go into more uh, detail about that article. But but before we do, kind of just more high level, Kenny, what do you think about Frank's role? Like, how did he perform this week in his role? And and just kind of like, what do you think of Fizdale's use of him, his deployment of him so far? So, and let me just start off by saying uh, I read your article, Tom. And uh, I think it's one of your best pieces of work. Uh, part of it is I'm a big Frank guy, so any analysis on him that I can get, I, uh, I love to read. So I encourage all of our listeners to go check that out because it's a, it's a very interesting piece. Um, and as far as, t- as uh, Frank's role this week, it's been, you know, it's been weird because he started the week as a starting point guard. He didn't play a ton. I don't think he played over 22 minutes in any of the games this week. And particularly in the uh, the New Orleans game, he played very little. And we talked about it uh, over the weekend, but he's just a guy who is so hard for you know casual fans to understand his value because there's no good way to value defense. And 
I admit fully that his offense has not been there lately, and he's been struggling. And what we saw tonight, I think, is kind of the result of that, and Fizdale's way, way of handling that is to just let him play defense, and he did a great job of doing that. But on the offensive end, you saw every time he got the ball, um, whether it was a rebound, a steal, anything like that, pretty much his first move was to look for someone else, Trey Burke or uh, Emmanuel Moutier, and just pass it to them and let them take it up. Whereas this guy was the, the starting point guard two games ago, and he didn't even think about bringing it up and running the ball a little bit. And then once you got to the offensive end, he pretty much just stood in the corner. Like he didn't, he wasn't even trying to play defense. I think he got one shot up today, and that was he had a steal, uh, and then he went up, tried to go coast to go coasting up black by Terrence Ross. So other than that, he really didn't do anything on the offensive end, but. Like you said earlier when we were talking about him and Dotson coming in, he was just so valuable on defense as far as, you know, he kind of shut down Terrence Ross for a little bit and just played good defense all around. Um, There's a couple times he got switched on to other people. Uh, He got switched on to Vucevic once and played decent defense, but Vucevic still scored over him because he has an 8-inch height advantage. But I don't know, man. I, I love Frank so much just because of how good he is on defense, but I just don't think that people see it enough or understand what he's doing enough because it doesn't show up in a box score. Yeah, I mean, T- Terrence Ross really gave the Knicks a hard time in their first meeting this year, and it's funny. like When you don't watch the Magic a lot, you kind of underestimate how important Ross is to their offense. He just He's the guy that in that kind of J.J. Redick, Clay Thompson role, running off screens and trying to create some panic from the defense to make them make a miscommunication, make a mistake, and, and to free someone up. So, yeah, I mean, Frank was chasing him all around. Ross en- ended the game with 4-13 from the field. He got hot there towards the end in the fourth quarter. Even when Frank was on him, he, he was just hitting some tough ones. But um, on the whole, he did, a, he did a great job with them. And, uh, yeah, like – you wonder how it impacts Frank's confidence, sort of the the yo-yoing that Fizdale is do with him, doing with him. Um, to, to go a little bit into my article, the reason I even wanted to look into his shooting was because I remembered he'd had that three-game stretch earlier in the season when he was he was hitting from the outside, and he had that that Warriors game where he was like it was his first, everyone was all the beat writers were tweeting like it was his first time starting as the sole primary ball handler he didn't have like a secondary point guard with him in the starting lineup so he made the most of that I think he ended up having a um, a career high 17 points that game and he just he was looking very aggressive and a lot of press was picking up on that but since that three game stretch he has just been he's been really bad it's been uh I want to say it's been 10 games now and he's just three of 28 from three that's just under 11% from three in the last 10 games. And, and this is a guy who last year, like his numbers didn't even really do him justice. So I, I took a look on cleaning the glasses site to see how he's actually, how he'd been shooting threes in the competitive portion of games. So cleaning the glass, it eliminates uh, garbage time and takes, and takes out of account the last second heaves that tend to hurt players averages. And Frank shot 35% from three. Does that sound like, on those competitive portions. Does that sound more in line with how he performed last year to you? Yeah. And I've, I've been a big proponent and I know I've talked to a lot of people who don't have as much um, faith in Frank's shooting ability, but I've been a proponent that like he has shown flashes of the ability to shoot. And 
when he is confident, and I think you mentioned this in your article a little bit, when he is confident, his stroke looks good and his shot looks good. And if he can be a guy who can confidently make shots and play the defense that he has been playing, like that is an amazingly valuable thing to, for a team to have. Oh, for sure. Like last year, he was very good at catch and shoot threes. He was he was pretty terrible off the dribble, um, but that's all they needed him for last year was just to try and stretch the defense to keep defenses honest. And as a spot up guy, he was well above average um, in terms of points per possession. So he was he was d- doing his job. And and this year, it's kind of been the opposite story where he just cannot hit his catch and shoot threes. Um, so I did, I mean, for this article, you guys can go check it out. I, I spoke to it kind of like a shot doctor, a shooting expert. Um, the B-Ball Index has an in-house guy they use. And he broke down Frank's shot, some of the quirks to it that might be causing some issues. Um, he mentioned like a, a low release being a problem with guys with longer arms like Frank because it kind of, because their arms are so long, it leads to defenders being closer and to even hit their arms on the follow through. He called it snake biting. It's something that happens to Porzingis all the time. And he complains about it a lot, but just refs don't call it because it seems so such minor contact. Um, but you could definitely see that happening to Frank too. Um, but at the end of the day, you just wonder if it's, if it's a mechanical thing. I mean, it's not like it. I mean, Shane, his shots even improved year over year The the shot doctor I spoke to said that like, his form has actually improved. It's just his numbers have gotten worse. And I, I'm, I really do believe it's a, it's a function of confidence. Yeah, and I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think when Fisdale was talking about him at the beginning of the year, when you know, he had him playing off ball and we were all questioning that decision, he said that he built a lot of confidence in that time because he wasn't expected to you know, create for other people. And um, Mike Vorkanov, uh, I think we talked about this the other night, but he's a, he's a writer at The Athletic, and he had a um, sit-down conversation with Frank, and he talked to him a little bit uh, maybe a week or two ago. Um, so I would go check out that article if you're, if you're listening as well. because It was very interesting. Frank said that you know when he's out there on the court, he feels selfish looking for his own shot. He, I mean, he said this in the past tense because he's – trying to claim that he's over this, but he said that he felt selfish looking for his own shot. And so he was more normal or he felt more comfortable trying to create and set up other people. And I think you see that a little bit where he is overthinking where he's like, I should be aggressive now rather than, you know, why rather than trying to look for my, my own shot, I should look for other people's shots. So to keep them involved in the game and just that little bit of hesitation, I think is what is throwing him off. And tonight, like I said earlier, he he was just completely, you know, out of the game offensively. And I don't know if this is part of kind of a Fizdale plan and we'll see how it progresses in the next couple of games to just reset, just kind of reset his mindset as far as I don't have to think about playing offense. I just have to think about playing defense. If a shot comes to me, great. I don't have to worry about setting other people up. That's fine. And I can just worry about defense, which I've been doing consistently well throughout the season. And maybe that helps him pick up his confidence because, like I said, tonight, great defensive game. Uh, he, I think, led the led the Knicks in plus-minus. And again, I say this all the time, one game plus-minus isn't, isn't uh, all that important, but he was plus-10, and the Knicks lost by 14. So plus-10 when he was on the court, minus-24 when he was off the court, which 
it's one game sample size, but that's not insignificant for a guy who took one shot, right? It, it, I think it shows you that his ability to play defense is important. Well, it also just felt important when you're watching the game, you're thinking like, get Frank back in. He's preventing, he's the one preventing the penetration into the paint and, and all the easy buckets the magic were getting. So um, it, it it's nice when the, the plus minus lines up with what you're seeing too. Um, but, but as you said, probably a lot of fans just look at the box score and see he took, he was over one from the field and that's just a, and, and, and frankly, that is a, a pretty rough look. I mean, it, it was hopefully a low point offensively for Frank and he's able to, to build back up um, to even where he was earlier yeah. in the season when he was, when he was playing with that confidence and that swagger as the, as a primary ball handler. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I, hoping to not see a performance like this offensively again. So I think in the first few games this year, we saw what we wanted to see from the Knicks, and we talked about it at the top of the show, but there was a little bit more ball movement. And so when Frank was playing off of the ball, like Fisdale said, that allowed him to build some confidence by just getting open shots when he was there and like when when the ball happened to hit him. And now with the way that the offense is playing with a lot of ISO, I think that was part of the reason he didn't get any shots up today. It was just because he was there, he was on the court, but there was a lot of ISO going on between Tim Hardaway Jr. and Trey Burke and a couple times Alonzo Trier, although, like I said, he didn't play much tonight. And I think if that can settle itself out over the next few games and if he continues to kind of play this off-ball role, I'm more okay with it now than I was previously just because I want to see him build his confidence back up and not have to think too hard about you know playing defense or playing uh, offense to set up the, his team you know, worrying about if he's shooting too much and things like that. So I'm not going to complain about that. Um, I just, I'm just hoping to see that it, you know, corrects itself over time in, and as the offense corrects itself over time. Yeah. Well, moving on to another young guy, cause that's what this season is really all about. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Kevin Knox. Um, he, so he's someone coming into this Orlando game, actually, uh, if you don't follow Nick's film school, you should. They are doing this thing for charity where uh, different Nick's Twitter personalities are pledging amounts of money based on players' performances to to a charity that Nick's film school is working with, trying to get uh, meals for Thanksgiving for families who are in need. So it's a great cause. And so we at Talking Nick's pledged $3 for every point Kevin Knox scores, really hoping for for Knox to to go off and have a career night. You know, Orlando's defense isn't that strong. I, I was really, I was pretty confident that that Knox would be able to have a good one. He did only finish with four points. I think we'll have to end up throwing a few extra dollars that way because I don't know if I want to give a twelve dollar donation. But um, other than than tonight in Orlando, like just on, in total, how do you think Knox has been? Knox is another guy that like I want to see him build some confidence. Um, I feel like I'd be a hypocrite if I kind of ripped on Knox for his struggles early in the year while I defend Frank. Um, my, I'm not as high on Knox as a lot of other people just because you know me. I'm a defense guy, and Knox hasn't shown much of a, an ability as a defender. Um and I think we we talked about this earlier this weekend too, but I think he – I question when people say that people can develop into good defenders just because you don't see it often 
Um, but Kevin Knox, I think, has the ability to play the four, which takes a little pressure off because you're not as often, you know, having to have the horizontal uh, movement as much. So I think he might actually develop into an okay defender, whereas right now he's just kind of struggling a lot. And offensively, I just want to see him become more efficient um, just because, again, he's a he's a rookie. He's a very young rookie, but he, you know, gets up a lot of shots. So uh, we're not expecting too much out of him yet, but I think uh, eventually we're going to want to see him an uptick in the efficiency we want because he could be the fo- one of the focal points in our offense as far as a scorer, but we're just not there yet. Yeah, he, he had one game uh, against the Pelicans where he was four and nine from the field, three of six from three. He uh, he missed his only free throw. He's the type of guy who I'd expect to get to the free throw line more. Just with he's got kind of a, a broader frame in his shoulders. Uh, you'd think he could be pretty aggressive getting to the hoop. But so far, he's been more of a, of a finesse player. Um, he, he takes a lot of his shots from three. He, uh, he's he got a smooth-looking stroke, though. I really got to say, like, he, he does a great job. It's, it's a versatile shot, just like we said, coming out of college. But it, it's borne out that way in, in the pros, too. He can come off screens and hit. He, can, he had one in the corner where he was, like, running, backpedaling towards the corner on his catch-and-shoot and was able to hit kind of going away from the basket. Like he doesn't need to just be standing in one place and have someone spoon feed him shots. Like he can, he can be pretty versatile in his jumper. So I like that a lot, especially for such a young guy, but yeah, in terms of his development, would love to see him get to the line more. would love to see him get, grab more rebounds. Um, but outside yeah. of that, I don't, I'm not expecting him to be like a playmaker and getting assists. If he can just limit turnovers, that would be nice. And uh, just continue to, to get buckets and and show some semblance of just playing hard on defense. I don't think he's going to understand like defensive schemes all that well at his age, but just really being like a hard nosed defender and taking pride on that end. That's that would be a huge step in the right direction for me. Yeah, and I feel like I I might have come off as a little more negative on Knox than I meant to be, um, just because I do think that he has potential to be a very good player. Um, just because he's a bigger player than I think people realize, and he's a longer player than people realize, and I think he kind of could fit the prototypical stretch four that you know the NBA is looking for now. And if you kind of put that alongside a guy like Porzingis, and you know you have guys like say Dotson and Frank, and those three are three great defenders, um, I think that that kind of eliminates some of the issues with Knox. Uh, but like you said, you know, we just want to see him develop this year as far as both offensively and defensively still, still young, but learning all the schemes and things like that. Yeah. Going down the the list of the young guys. Um, and, and actually one thing we didn't really mention with Knox or maybe briefly was just his, uh, he's been prone to foul trouble. That's a pretty rookie thing to do. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, he's been having a lot of the same issues too. Um, just having problems staying on the court, but what have you what have you seen from him so far? And I've seen a lot more from Mitchell Robinson than I was expecting to this year. Um, I know in our our preseason projections, um, I said that I think in the future he would be you know a very useful piece. I expected him to spend some time in the G League this year, 
but the way that he's played other than the foul trouble, um, I don't think that that would happen. Um, if, if they want to get him some more run and just have him work on, you know, moving his feet on defense a little more rather than relying on his length, maybe that's something that happens, but I just don't see it. But like you said, the, the foul trouble this week has been a real problem. Um, he played just 17 minutes a game because of foul trouble in the, in the three games that he played the 17 minutes a game. He had 4.7 fouls per game. And you're only allowed six per game, so that's to have five per game in just that short amount of time is pretty crazy. Them's the rules. Uh, I mean, but think about the guys he was going up against this week. It was a, it was a murderer's row of just tough centers. Like Steven Adams is just the most brutal center to throw uh, yeah. Mitchell Robinson to the Wolves to. That guy is a monster. And then Anthony Davis is an MVP candidate, one of the best players in the league. And then, um, I mean, Vucevic has been playing really well this year. He's been incredible. And he's got he's got a lot of skill around the basket, but he could also step out and hit threes, stretch the floor. Um, he's a really tough guard for someone like Robinson. So it, it was it was not the best week in terms of matchups, um, especially guys like Adams and and Anthony Davis could certainly foul out someone like Robinson who's so inexperienced. But you know, nothing too discouraging. Like we're not we didn't have high expectations like you said coming in. So um, everything we're seeing. From here on out with Robinson, it's just gravy to me. Yeah, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with guys like guys like Anthony Davis and Vucevic who can they can beat you down low, but they can also step out and shoot it. Those are the guys that Mitchell Robinson needs to learn how to defend because he is primarily a guy who is going to defend at the rim. Um, I know he gets his his uh, blocks on the outside on uh, you know the closeouts, but that's not usually guarding his man. That's usually on a switch or an emergency situation. Um, so if he can, if he can work on this year, you know, stepping out and playing a little perimeter defense. And I think he has some of the skills to do that. Um, I think that he can be just another amazing piece on, on the defensive end to go along with, you know, Porzingis, Frank, and to uh, a little bit lesser of an extent, Dotson. All right, I'm thinking last topic before we get, move on to, to next week and maybe some predictions. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the rotation. So I, I'm curious, like Hazonia hasn't played the last two games. There was talk of him being ill for this Magic game. I don't know if he went out too hard with his Orlando friends or what happened, but uh, he has not seen any minutes the last couple of games. Do you think he's out of the rotation? And I I don't know because they did come out before this game and said that he had some sort of illness. They said food poisoning type symptoms. Um, I'm not sure how long that's been going on because he also didn't play the last game. And in the post game of last game, um, Fizdale just kind of said, you know, you're going to get your minutes when you get your minutes. Like you shouldn't, players don't need to worry about that. They shouldn't be listening to kind of what the, the media is saying about all of that just because things are things are fluid right now and you know he pointed to Trey Burke who i think didn't play the first game this week and then as as a coach's decision and then went out there and averaged 27 points over the next two games so you're going to get your shots when you get your shots but you know right now there's a lot of experimenting going on as far as trying to you know get the right guys in the right situations so i don't know that Hazonia's out for good um and i think he's another guy who is just such an enigma just because 
his form on his jumper looks good. And like, he does a lot of things that look good. And then just the end result and the final thing that happens before the end of the play is always terrible. Like the shot looks good and then it's nowhere near going in. Like the play looks good. And then he throws the ball out of bounds and it's just, he looks like he has the skill. He just can't finish the plays. Yeah, his his defense is just atrocious. I was watching him specifically on a few plays against Oklahoma City, and he was just helpless. He he had no concept of like staying between man and the ball, a man in the basket, and it just yeah, it was it was not pretty. But um, I don't I don't know who it was, but someone it might have been Nick's film school. If it wasn't, I'm, I apologize to whoever I'm I'm not crediting here, but someone posted a video of him with his back to the basket for half of a a possession um, because he didn't know where the ball was. So his back was to the ball. He was facing the basket, like boxing out and the ball was just like moving around (laughs) around the perimeter. And it's like, that's not great. It sounds right though. That sounds right. Um, One other interesting rotation thing. I know we just talked a lot about Frank, but in this most recent game tonight against Orlando, he was the 10th man coming off the bench. Like that was pretty shocking to me that he would be so late in the rotation. Do you think there was anything to that to, to like take away from? So like my initial thought was no, because uh, he, because Fizdale's a hot hand guy, but then like the Moutier went out early, like Moutier was playing well, but he went out early because he got two quick fouls and he brought in Trey Burke. And, you know, I, I don't know that there's something there, but it just makes me feel a little worse that Trey Burke went in for Moutier. Um, but again, that might be partially, you know, what we we're talking about before, as far as the the idea that Frank might just or Fisdale might just have Frank playing completely off ball right now, so he can build some confidence, which he did at the beginning of the year, and he said he did at the beginning of the year. Yeah, fact- I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll be honest, I was pretty upset when I saw him as the fifth guy off the bench. But I was very encouraged that um, Fisdale turned to him in crunch time to in an offense defense capacity, sure, but at least he got him in because he because Fisdale had had opportunities in previous crunch time situations to do offense defense with Frank and failed to do so. And I thought it was a horrendous decision. So at least I thought that was at least a step in the right direction. Yeah. So I'm, I mean, uh, that goes along with the whole hot hand scenario where Frank again played very well um, defensively and, and Fisdale recognized that and continue to go to him. And previously, I don't think, I don't know that he played in the fourth quarter in the, I think it was the new Orleans game, um, but he started the fourth quarter and then I think he played most of it. He came out with maybe five minutes left and then they went to offense defense with maybe two or three minutes left. So he was involved for most of the, of the fourth quarter. Yeah. So before we move on to uh, the next segment, which is just upcoming games, is there anything else you wanted to, to bring up? So I guess we should mention the the change in the starting lineup that happened uh, before the New Orleans game, which was they put Dotson and Frank on the bench in favor of Kevin Knox and uh, who was it, Moutier? Or, or was it Trier? So, and they also put Vonley on the bench. So it was Vonley, Dotson, and Frank for Moutier, Trier, and Knox. That's right. 
And uh, I don't know if you were you were kind of watching Twitter during that, but before the New Orleans game, there were a lot of jokes going around about this team just or this uh, lineup not playing any defense and giving up 200 points, something like that. Which they came out in the first game against New Orleans very hot, and they played very well in the first quarter. Um, so people were like, all right, maybe we were wrong. And then fast forward to the Orlando game, and they give up 44 points in the first quarter. First quarter, and it's like, oh. They might give up 200. Maybe that's true. Yeah, just the based on the personnel alone, the, the, there's no way. Like you have Trier and and Moutier in the backcourt. You have Tim Hardaway Jr. as your three, who's just way too small to guard any like decent sized wings. You have Knox at power forward. It's just yeah, that's and that's ugly. Looking at looking at that lineup, the only guy you would say who is a positive defender is Robinson, and he is still very raw and like we saw, very prone to fouling. So like that's a lot of guys who aren't I wouldn't even I wouldn't even call them average defenders at this point. I would call no. them four below average defenders and Robinson who projects as a a very plus defender, but right now is still very young. Yeah, I, I like you said, projects to be quite good, but at this point I would not even call him a, a average defender. I think he, I think you have a, a full five-man unit of, of just below-average defenders, some extraordinarily below average. Yeah. Um, and I, I just want to add on to that because I think that's another thing that you know the casual fan might not – we were talking about this with Frank, but just might not know because Robinson this year has been blocking a lot of shots. So people might look at him and say he's a great defender. The problem is like he fouls a lot and he doesn't know how to move his feet and he just kind of gets bullied. So – there are ways to take advantage of him, whether it's on the post with a bigger defender or it's pulling him out with a smaller defender and a smaller offensive player and letting them go at him. So I, I agree with you, but I think there, there might be a lot of listeners who kind of disagree with that premise, but I think that that is the case. Yeah. His highlight blocks kind of, you know, erase the, the perception. Cantor doesn't have that benefit of the doubt. He's just a bad defender with no highlight blocks. Mitchell Robinson at least has like that that upside, whether or not that uh, makes up for his poor defense. Not yet, it doesn't, but but hopefully at some point down the road. Um, so I think we're, we're ready to wrap this thing up. But so we the, we have four games coming up this, this upcoming week. That's at home against the Portland Trailblazers, at Boston against the Celtics, home game against a rematch against the New Orleans Pelicans, and then at Memphis for the Grizzlies. So packed schedule this week. Kenny, any any predictions for this one? I am not optimistic about this week, Tom. Um, yeah, just just real quick, you I think you guessed it was a six-game losing streak we are currently on. Yeah. Um, it, it's a five-game losing streak. Okay. I, I threw that off the top of my head. I wasn't I wasn't positive, but I knew it was We've lost a lot of a lot of straight games. I could see it getting to ten. I'm gonna hope we pull out one. We've been playing poorly lately, but I know early in the season we had a, a lot of those close close losses to good teams. So these are, you know, a few pretty good teams. Although I think Boston and New Orleans have not been playing particularly well, and I haven't kept up with Portland, um, but. They all pose their own threats. I know Portland's backcourt is very tough um, to defend. And, you know, the idea of maybe Nilekina and Dotson guarding uh, McCollum and, and Lillard, that excites me um, as far as something to watch for. And uh, I always love to watch 
Nilakina guard Kyrie just because of the the way that he played him um, last year, which there was a lot of highlights of. So those are my things to watch for. But as far as you know, wins and losses go, I'm gonna stick pessimistic and uh and go 0 for four and just hope that they surprise me. Yeah, I, I mean th- this is a, a tough. This is a murderer's row here. Uh, the Trailblazers have been good for sure. The Celtics have a ton of talent. They, I mean, Kyrie's been on fire lately. He's kind of starting to figure it out, round back into shape. The Pelicans, we saw just how how powerful their offense can be. Um, and maybe they, they steal that one at home against the Pelicans if, if they don't travel as well. But even even the Grizzlies have been playing pretty well. Going to Memphis is, is a tough place to play. So I, I'm going to optimistically say they'll go one in three this week and hopefully break that that losing streak at, uh, at seven, but you know, <laughs> we'll see. Um, that's what I'm hoping for Tom. I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping they get there, but I'm not counting on it. And, you know, like I've been saying all year, like these, these games count towards the the lottery too. So, you know, I know it, I know it sucks now and we want them to kind of stay confident and stay, you know, positive and losing a bunch of games doesn't do it, but hey, if it means we win the lottery and get the number one pick, you know it's not the worst result in the world. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Um, all right, I think we covered just about all of it, though. Um, I will say, if uh, if you're listening to this, we appreciate you doing my Jake impression here. Um, but yeah. Give us five stars. Go to rate, review, leave a, leave a review. Uh, we appreciate that. Um, I know Jake's been teasing these giveaways like on every pod. I think let's let's hold him to it this this upcoming week, right? Let's we'll we'll do some kind of trivia thing or some secret code word and uh, and start giving away some some merchandise um, to show yeah show listeners we appreciate you. So all right, Kenny. Until next time, I'll talk to you, man. All right, see you later. Next tape.